1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic toward the east coast of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Drew Pearson. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a space ship in Washington. The Army has taken every precaution to meet any emergency which may develop. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. But he's a robot. Without you, what could he do? There's no limit to what he could do. He could destroy the earth. All vehicles, close in.
Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and I'm very happy to once again have my friend Bob Fisher with me here today. Hey Bob. Hey, hey. how you doing Paul? I'm doing, I'm doing very well thank you. How are this you? Is a, I am so pleased to be here. This is fun. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I know we planned to do this way back and it had to get canceled a couple times and I'm looking forward to this. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, and if, if somebody does not already know, uh, when I threw out to Bob uh, what to cover, one of the suggestions he gave me was The Day the Earth Stood Still, and I thought that sounds like a great choice. Uh, it's a 1951 film directed by the great Robert Wise, uh, based on a story called Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates, starring Michael Rennie, Patricia Neal. Hugh Marlowe, Sam Jaffe, music by, once again, the great Bernard Herrmann, uh, and that's as much as I'll give by way of background right now. Uh, this is a movie that, it's, it's another one of the ones that routinely shows up on lists of the greatest movies of all time, and it's one that I was remiss in watching for quite some time. Now, I had seen it before, you know, sometimes they come up and it's like, oh, wow, I have to watch this so we could do it on the show. I had seen it before you suggested it, but not all that long ago. Like within the mm -hmm. last five years, I first saw it. Uh, yeah, first saw it within the last five years. Yes. And, okay. uh, it, you know, and, and it was basically because it was on one of my to-watch lists forever, and I just never got around to it. And then, you know, one day I finally, it was probably on TCM, uh, turn of classic movies and I right. that that is sometimes the way I end up catching these movies that I know should already be in my background and aren't and this is one <laughs> of them and, and it, it I, I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, I think it it, it ha does belong on the lists that it's on you know not to give away too much of <laughs> my feelings about it right away uh, <laughs> right. It, it is a movie of a different era and it's presented differently, and I'm curious to, to see, and I probably will at some point, the remake with Keanu Reeves, just to see the differences in the presentation. Yeah, I have not seen the remake either. The and I know that 80s, didn't get... Yeah, late the, 80s? Or, oh, I yeah. think, no, I think I, it was much later than that. I think it was 90s or 90s? early 2000s. Wow. Yeah, uh, I did not watch the remake at all. But it's... Uh, I, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but but just because of the film, you know, and it, it just to back up a little, it's not very highly thought of from what I've heard. Uh, yeah, but I the filmmaking that's... styles and and things that go on are different now than they were then, and I'd be curious yeah. to see how they attacked it in a different way. I, I think this movie yeah, is much too. more thoughtful uh, and really did not. You know, there's not a lot of action, so to speak, mm. in this movie. But That's I would, one of the reasons to, you know, oh, excuse me, go ahead. But I would think that the remake would be much more likely to have more in that regard. That's all I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I think there's probably more explosions in the new version. And just, uh, just for what's what, the remake not. was in 2008. Ah, wow. Wow. So that wasn't all that long ago. Well, it's, you know what, 10 years, it's, it really really depends on your age. The older I get, the less 10 years seems like. I know. I right. started thinking, well, a decade, that was only yesterday, wasn't it? Good yeah. heavens. 
Yeah, I, I still I haven't had like, time to watch that one yet. Exactly. <laughs> it hasn't been out long enough. Uh, <laughs> what's what's your background on this? When did you first see it? You know, it's weird. I, I was talking to Kim about it, and I think, you know, I have distinct memories of watching it for the first time in a movie theater. Um, when I was a you're not quite old enough unless it was a re re. Uh, well, it had to have been because I actually thought it came out in the late fifties, but it came out in fifty one. So I couldn't have seen it because I was born in fifty two. Uh, so it would have had to have been. Um, one of those, it, it's possible that it showed up in one of those Saturday matinees that used to happen here in Richmond, where they would show um, Fleischer cartoons, they would show Bugs Bunny cartoons, and then they would show a bunch of serials, the 15-minute westerns and stuff, with Followed by Noon, their main feature. And sometimes it was one of these old science fiction shows. Um and then, of course, I just saw it late night TV over and over and over and over and over again. Because once it hit TV in the 50s, they showed it all the time. It was a regular. Um, I'm also thinking possibly because I spent many summers in Manio, North Carolina. And uh, they didn't always show movies when they first came out. And they showed whatever they wanted to, whatever the, apparently the owner of this little theater was into. Uh, so I, I saw several movies that were five to ten years old at the time I saw them for the first time in Manio and Summer Break. But uh, my memory, you know, you can't really trust memory so much, but my memory says I saw it in the theater, so that would have had to have been a reshow somewhere, if in fact it was the cinema. Uh, I, th I think of the days when, you know, pre-home video, yeah, where, where TV, broadcast TV, was the only source for... Uh, viewing these things right. and even in my younger days and you know for what it's worth there's 10 years between us and as bob and mm. i just discussed the older we get yeah. the less 10 years seems like <laughs> um but as as a kid i remember it was pretty common uh for them to package things as double features and yeah. include an older release with a current thing. Uh, you know, the, the ones that, that really stand out to me are, you know, when uh, they would come out with a new James Bond movie, they'd have a double feature of the new one and an old one. Right. Or, or when the Planet of the Apes movies, when the sequels were coming out, there would be double features. Uh, I know I saw Jaws and Jaws 2 in a double feature. I had already seen Jaws the first time. Right. And anybody who knows the title of the show and is concerned, <laughs> I did see Jaws on its original release. Uh, but you know, there, there were movies like that that they would double, you know, double up, and it, it might be a movie that had already been on TV. Uh, periodically, they would re-release Gone with the Wind. Yes. In the movie theaters, or, or yeah, every once in a while, The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind were required viewing from the moment you had eyes open in the South. You had to watch both of those. They were, uh, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind was considered a documentary down here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, also drive-in theaters. I may have seen it at a drive-in theater. Drive-in theaters did a lot of that double feature or the triple feature sci-fi night or horror night or something like that. So it's very, and my family uh, station wagon with the rear seat going the other way and the whole bit 58 Ford. Uh, it's very possible I saw it at the drive-in with the family night or something too. But this movie, as long as I can remember, I've known this movie. And 
I was curious, you know, because this is one thing like you. I'm a little curious if any of the younger listeners out there, when I say younger, I'm saying anybody under 40, because that's, that's incredibly young. <laughs> <laughs> but they have probably not seen this. Uh, and I'm curious if a younger person were to watch this, who's not into movies, who's not like a movie, uh, uh, you know, studying to be in the movies or whatever and looking at this critically, but just on a Saturday night saying, hey, sweetheart, what do you want to watch tonight? Let's watch that movie from 1951, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I don't know that 20-somethings and 30-somethings would do it, and if they did, what would they think about this movie? Because it's so different, like you were saying, with the style of shooting it, um, and uh, uh, it's in black and white, and younger people, for some reason, have little or no tolerance for black and white movies, uh, and it, again, that shows the brilliance of this director, Robert Wise. Uh, I mean, we could talk for days just about him. Uh, yeah. Well, Geeks would know him. Yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bob. Uh, I'm thinking that uh, a lot of, you know, I don't know how much of my audience is 20-something and 30-somethings, to be totally <laughs> honest with you. Uh, we may have a large audience. We may not have any audience. I have no idea. But I'm thinking a lot of people may be in the boat that I was in where they've heard of the movie, uh, they know it's considered to be a classic, but they really don't know a lot more about it than that. So I'm going to give the plot, because I don't think spoiling the plot ruins the viewing experience in any way. Not at all. No, I don't think anything. I think if you actually told them everything that happens, it wouldn't spoil it at all. Yeah, this, so is, this, this, is, a, this is a movie more dependent on presentation than than anything else. And presentation of yeah. the, the thoughts and the ideas and that type of thing. I, I, I don't just mean, you know, like a VH1 video where it's all just visual. Uh, let me, let me no. give the plot now. When a flying saucer lands in Washington, D.C., the army quickly surrounds it. A humanoid, Michael Rennie, emerges from the spacecraft and announces that he comes in peace and with goodwill. When he unexpectedly removes and opens a small device, he is shot and wounded by a nervous soldier. A tall robot emerges from the saucer and quickly disintegrates the army's weapons. The alien orders the robot, Gort, to desist. He explains that the now broken device was a gift for the president, which would have enabled him to study life on the other planets. The alien, Klaatu, is taken to Walter Reed Hospital. After surgery, he uses a salve to quickly heal his wound. Meanwhile, the army is unable to enter the saucer. Gort stands outside, silent and unmoving. Klaatu tells the president's secretary, Mr. Harley, Frank Conroy, that he has a message that must be delivered to all the world's leaders simultaneously. Harley tells him that such a meeting in the current political climate is impossible. Klaatu suggests that he be allowed to go among humans to better understand their unreasoning suspicions and attitudes. Harley rejects the proposal, and Klaatu remains under guard. Klaatu escapes and lodges at a boarding house as Mr. Carpenter, the name on the dry cleaner's tag on a suit he acquired. Among the residents are a young widow, Helen Benson, played by Patricia Neal, and her son Bobby, played by Billy Gray. The following morning, Klaatu listens to the boarders speculate about the alien's motivations. While Helen and her boyfriend, Tom Stevens, played by Hugh Marlowe, are not at home, Klaatu is a babysitter for Bobby. The boy takes Klaatu on a tour of the city, including a visit to his father's grave in Arlington National Cemetery. 
Klaatu learns that most of the deceased are former military servicemen killed in wars. They visit the Lincoln Memorial, and at the heavily guarded spaceship, Klaatu asks Bobby, who is the greatest living person? Bobby suggests Professor Barnhart, played by Sam Jaffe. Bobby takes Klaatu to Barnhart's home, but the professor is not home. Klaatu adds a mathematical equation to assist in solving a celestial mechanics problem on Barnhart's blackboard, and leaves his contact information with the suspicious housekeeper. During the evening, a government agent accompanies Klaatu to Barnhart. Klaatu explains that the people of other planets are concerned now that humanity has developed rockets and a rudimentary form of atomic power. Klaatu declares that if his message is ignored, Earth will be eliminated. Barnhart agrees to gather scientists from around the world at the saucer. He then suggests that Klaatu give a harmless demonstration of his power. Klaatu returns to his spaceship that night, unaware that Bobby has followed him. Bobby sees Gort render two soldiers unconscious, and Klaatu enters the saucer. Bobby tells Helen and Tom what he saw, but they do not believe him until Tom takes a diamond he found in Klaatu's room to a jeweler and learns it is unlike any on Earth. Klaatu finds Helen at her workplace, and they take an empty service elevator which stops precisely at noon. He has neutralized all electricity everywhere for 30 minutes, except for such essential services as hospitals and airplanes in flight. Klaatu reveals his true identity to Helen, asks for help, and explains his mission. After Tom informs the authorities of his suspicions, Helen breaks up with him. She and Klaatu decide to visit Barnhart's home. On the way there, he tells her should anything happen to him, she must say to Gort, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Their taxi is spotted and hemmed in. Klaatu makes a break for it and is shot dead. Helen quickly heads to the saucer. Gort kills two soldiers standing watch and advances on her. Before fainting, Helen utters Klaatu's words. Gort carries her into the spaceship, then leaves to retrieve Klaatu's body. Gort brings Klaatu back to life, but he explains to Helen that his revival is only temporary. Klaatu addresses Barnhart's assembled scientists, informing them that he represents an interplanetary organization that created a police force of invisible robots, invincible robots like Gort. In matters of aggression, we have given them absolute power over us, Klaatu concludes. Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace, or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We will be waiting your, for your answer. Klaatu and Gort re-enter the spaceship and depart. That's, it's, as I said, the presentation is kind of a little slow and quiet, but it's a heavy message that they're given there. And when you think about the time that it's given, it's really like the advent of the Cold War. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the country and in the world right then that's being uh, influenced by this movie. And to me, it plays like a top-notch extended Twilight Zone excuse me, episode. That's the way I take mm-hmm. it. But as I said, top-notch. There's nothing about it. You know, when I put Twilight Zone on it, I don't mean that in any way to denigrate it. Uh, right. You know, that is saying, oh, it's just a TV quality movie. It's it's a very high quality movie. The acting is terrific. Oh, the I, acting is top-notch. I yeah. think the directing is, is awesome. I think the score is great. I, I think it's just really a, a terrific movie with a lot of things for deep thought. 
I think that's a good way to put it. And because it is, um, you know, I, I hesitate to say slow because it's so intense. The entire movie, really, and I think I, and another thing that I just think is so brilliant, right from the get-go, the suspense is built by, uh, again, it's in black and white, so the suspense is built by the music and the look, the shadows, the tempo, everything about this um, is just so, so terrific. And before, we see no explosions, no fighting uh, for the first, what, 20 minutes or so. Even when the ship comes down, it's not like another, you know, War of the Worlds where he, you know, crashes into the monuments or blows stuff up. Simply the ship, which is basically a piece of light going across scenes of the White House, I mean, of the of Washington, D.C., and it just lands. And then it sits there while the world decides what to do, and the suspense is built more and more. And, of course, humans shoot it as soon as it comes out. But Yeah, well, you have that level of paranoia from the people. Right, but uh, you're absolutely right about the time period. This is 1951, so we're really only six years removed from World War II and the first dropping of the atomic bomb. Russians now have the bomb, or at least say they do, or are working on it. So it's, it's, uh, it's the beginning of the Cold War. And uh, you see it in this throughout the entire movie. Uh, it's a little preachy, but they, they back it up, and they, they, it's a sincere, honest movie, I think. You know, as far as the director and, and uh, uh, acting and everything else. And the script. Uh, and the script is just so good because, well, everything, it, it really does. And when you get in, I think the only awkward thing, one of my first notes is uh, building the suspense up with the lights and the shadows and the music. And even when uh, Remy shows up at the lodging house for the first time, they, all their lights are out and they're watching the story because the spaceman has gotten away and it's all spooky and here he shows up and even the way they've lit him he's in the shadows he's dark everything is lit around him and backlit he looks like an alien and he acts like he's so good subtle is so good the only weak performance and it's it's very short uh, the chemistry between uh, 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 Patricia Neal and I forgot his name. The uh, her boyfriend. Boy, her boyfriend. Yeah, I forgot his name. Uh, uh, he becomes a real jerk. He's a Frank terrific. Conroy is the actor. No, no, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. That's that's no. that's prison. It's Howard or something. It's uh, Hugh Marlowe is the actor. Hugh Marlowe. And Tom Stevens is the character. Okay, Tom. Right. Uh, one of the most awkward first kisses on screen I've ever seen. When we see the two of them for the first time and he shows up at the lodge and they do that little kiss, that's the most awkward thing. It's been a few years since you've seen it, but next time you see it, pay attention to that. Oh, no, I've, 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 I've watched it again for the recording. Uh, oh, okay. Don't get me wrong. I, I was just saying I first saw it about five years ago. Uh, okay. And I, gotcha. I saw it, I think, one more time between then and recently, and then I watched it again I don't know. We, we've we've had a couple of aborted attempts to record this, yeah. so it's probably about a month ago that I last saw it. Okay, I watched it again last night for kicks, and and 
that scene still pops out at me when they kiss for the first time. It's, it's, are you sure you guys have done that before? You're supposed to be boyfriend and girlfriend? Boy, it was so awkward and weird looking. But he turns out to be a great uh, jerk. You know, mm-hmm. I want to say villain, but he's not really, he's not a villain, but he's, he's a jerk who's going to cause all kinds of problems. And uh, I thought they played him really well. Uh, the kid, again, how often do you see a kid, particularly from the 50s, who would screw this stuff up big time? Where it would be too much of a, I'm a cute little kid. Well, he went on to be on Father Knows Best. Exactly. Uh, and have a decent career himself. Uh, I think he actually became a director or producer, too, behind the scenes at some point. I think you're correct. But uh, he did a great job with this, and and uh, you really can't point to anything, uh, uh, you know, terrible about this stuff. They get the point across to the alien that Earth is and has been a violent country, world, and taking him to the the uh, Arlington, I thought, brought that point home again, but in another from another angle where we were celebrating in a, a memorial way those that gave their lives for what we assume was honorable, um, hasn't always been, but there have always been wars. And, uh, you know, I think they portrayed that kind of stuff, as you would expect from a 50s movie, uh, a little schmaltzy, but not over the top. I thought it... I, and I think that goes back to Robert Wise as a director. I think he moved this thing along, kept it going when you think, mm, but every single scene that I looked at again last night from uh, the opening to him showing up at the lodge for the first time, uh, Bobby taking him around Washington to look at all of those, and then when he meets Sam Jaffe for the first time, Professor Barnhart, Whoa, that to me is just one of the, the, the best scenes anywhere i mean it's so good because sam jaffe professor barnhart in that moment realizes the entire weight and the power that this guy is telling him and when he does that remember in uh uh star trek i guess it was three which one was it where uh you killed my son you klingon bastard he fell three three okay uh uh Sam Jaffe almost does the same thing here when the weight of what uh, uh, Klaatu is telling him and he goes to sit back down in his chair and he just staggers a little bit and falls back into his chair because the, he now, he understands the complete power that Klaatu can do. And then bringing it back when the day the earth stood still and Sam Jaffe's uh, secretary comes in and she's all messed up, scared, and everything is stopped. And he's there reading the paper and smoking. Are you scared? That's good. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so brilliant. I mean, subtle and brilliant. There was very little yelling. And that's why I wonder how a modern young audience would take this as it is. That's, that's exactly my thoughts. And I think a combination of Robert Wise's directing style and Michael Rennie's acting style 
it's they're both a little understated in the way they're presented in this movie mm-hmm. and it gives the concepts that they're presenting a chance to breathe and a yes. chance to sit with you where you start thinking about them you're not being overwhelmed with again you know an mtv type uh you know fast cut editing uh thing going on where, where you don't have time to you know to contemplate because you're moving on to the next action sequence now there's going to be some heavy thoughts and some talk about some things that are very important and a lot of you know a lot of metaphor type things with the use of the aliens and instead of you know all people but you have a chance again to kind of think it over and think about what's going on and think about the message that they're giving and ultimately the message is if you continue on this path you're going to be destroyed yep so we're going to leave it up to you. You're the child. We're the adults. We will destroy you if you keep on this path. <laughs> what would you like to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's really what they're saying. That's uh, exactly what they're saying. And he said it literally in the end thing. If you don't, your planet will be a burned cinder. Yeah, and <gasps> it's, I mean, I, I think, again, I thought his acting style was understated, but in a good yeah, way. Absolutely. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't go on to a bigger career, Michael Rennie. Yeah, me too, because he was really, really good. And uh, it's a little sad sometimes to see him pop up on a third season Lost in Space or something. And uh, yeah, he had a long he, career. It just wasn't. Long career, uh, but he wasn't the star that I thought guy. he might have become after something like this. Yeah, I agree. Um, and. You know, later in his career, he was basically a TV guy again, and doing this kind of walk-on weird stuff sometimes, uh, trying to play up on uh, some of his unusualness. But there was a, uh, I don't know, it might have been Ben Franklin or somebody, I don't know who said it originally, but um, the, the, the saying that people uh, will shy away from people who talk, loud and boisterous like I do whereas if someone whispers they'll lean in to hear it mm-hmm. they'll want to say they'll lean in to hear and that's what you're doing in this you're going what what you're into it and because of the pacing if you really sit there and watch this sucker uh, it will take you to a world that did exist this looks w- like what America looked like in the 1950s now this cause I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, well, actually the late 40s, because this was shot in 51. But this was, this is what America looked like. And uh, some of the things that they're talking about, we're still talking about today. Um, different cultures living together and all of the things that we're going through right now uh, are being talked about, but as a planetary universal thing instead of a single country. So... Now I'm just quickly looking at the cast. We have uh, Helen Benson was played mm. by Patricia Neal. Now I am mm-hmm. most familiar with Patricia Neal as having had the lead uh, role in the original TV movie that became the TV show The Waltons. Right. She right. she played the mother on that uh, in that right. in that TV film, uh, and that was eventually taken over by Michael Learned who played it on the TV series. Uh, yeah, I think she did a lot of other sci-fi stuff, didn't she? Horror movies and stuff. I seem to have 
Oh. Remember seeing her on Sim Gooley on Saturday nights doing other stuff. Just looking stuff. quickly at her uh, Wikipedia page, not not going to her filmography, just at the title, what she's most known for. Uh, first movie mentioned is The Day the Earth Stood Still. Then they mentioned she was in Breakfast at Tiffany's, in Hood, hmm. uh, for which she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. And then wow. she's featured as the matriarch in the television film The Homecoming, A Christmas Story. And let's see, what else do we have? The Miracle Worker, or the oh, she was in the play The Miracle Worker, excuse me. Well, uh, she had a decent career then. Yeah, I'm just looking to see if there's anything mm-hmm. else of particular significance, but I guess that's it. Uh, but I, like I said, I, I, I wasn't totally unfamiliar with her. Right, uh, I had seen her before. But you know who else was sitting around that uh, dining room table at the lodging? I was going to get to her. That's uh, <laughs> Aunt, Aunt B from uh, the Andy Griffith Show. Yeah, Aunt B from the Andy Griffith Show is there. And then the yeah. other the other one who jumps out at me is uh, Professor Barnhart, who is uh, most notable to me as having been Gunga Din. Oh, yeah. Gungadin. Well, we used to see Sam Jaffe all the time, and I think he had a, even had a TV show as a doctor or something in the late 50s, 60s, early 60s I, yes, or he something. Did. He, was, he was on Ben, ben Casey. Ben Casey. There you, oh, right! He was the head guy with Ben Casey. My mother had such a huge crush on Ben Casey, the actor that played Ben Casey. Uh, do I remember his name? Black hair. Superman looking. Uh, Vince but, Edwards. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Vince Edwards, very good. I'm just quick, uh, quick with the mouse. You're quick. With the <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you can do that. But yeah, quite a cast. There's there's really not a real you know clinker uh, in the bunch. Even sitting around that table, there were other TV guys um, that I've forgotten their names, and my notes are too far. I left them over there, and I'm not going to go get them. That's but, okay. Uh, yeah, there are people that you would know if you watched uh, 60s and 70s sitcoms and other type TV, Leave It to Beaver and all those kinds of shows. <clears throat> Several of those actors are here. One of the things I like to look at when I see, you know, when we do these movies, especially the older movies, is to find out what actors or actresses were considered for roles uh, that were ultimately performed by someone else who did them so well and the only the only ones that they mention here are the part of Klaatu they had considered Spencer Tracy and Claude Mm. Rains Mm -mm. I Mm. don't think it would have been a tremendously different movie with either of them but as terrific as both of them are as actors, and they really both were great actors. So I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't say we would have lost much with them. Uh, Michael Rennie was just to me seemed so perfect in the role that I have a tough time picturing either of them in it. Right, and I think to some degree it was kind of like <clears throat> doing Christopher Reeve as Superman. Claude Rennie and Spencer Tracy, even in 1951, were already uh, pretty big names. Well, Claude Rains would have actually been on the on the downside at that point. Exactly, he would have I mean, been he, he had his peak in the forties. With yes, exactly. So, uh, I think it was smart, and and the fact that you go with with uh, Ramey, and he looks so different than those other two gentlemen, he would be 
everything about him, his physical stature, everything. You had no trouble believing he was an alien when he walked out of that ship. It's just something about his bearing, the way he carried yeah. himself. He, he really, and you know, I, I obviously credit him as an actor for it because I doubt that that was just the way he presented himself normally because you'd think it was kind of creepy right. if he did uh, <laughs> exactly. but in in the part you know that he was playing i think he was perfect and he doesn't he he has a strange bearing about him but he never seems threatening never never and he even in the last speech when it was dead serious and letting them know you screw up your planet is going to die he still even though it was serious and louder than he had been it was like a forceful father, but not the kind that's just going to, you know, get the belt and beat you or whatever. It was just, you know it's serious right now. Uh, but everything about him, even in the, in the scene where uh, uh, the secretary came back to tell the results of the other countries turning it down, and then he, he said, well, maybe I'll just walk amongst the people, and they said, no, you can't do that. You'll have to stay here. And the secretary leaves, and then they lock the door behind him. And he looks over, and hear, as he hears the door locking, he just does a little tiny grin. And telling us that, oh, isn't that cute? They're, they're locking that little door <laughs> as, if, as if that's going to keep me in here. And the next thing we see is him out on the street with a whole new suit and a suitcase. And, and you, you know, know what? Strange. So I mean, this is going to seem strange, but the character he most reminds me of uh, is in uh, the Assignment Earth episode of Star Trek, Gary Seven. Oh, yeah. That's that's who. That's, that's actually the vibe really I got. good. That's really good. Same kind of vibe. Like you really know what's going on, but you're not telling everybody. Yeah, yeah that's he, that's a really good. So now, this movie, one of the things I enjoy about it is that it is, it is really kind of pervasive in pop culture, and the, you know I've I've heard for for years and years and years I heard Klaatu Barada Nikto. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know you you hear it as punchlines on sitcoms and 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 not punchlines to make fun of it punchlines mm -hmm. to hey look how hip i am how uh, hip I you am, know that yes. kind of thing but then you you have uh you know the cover uh, of a ringo star album which recreated the movie poster good night vienna yep and just to by way of an, an interesting tidbit for everybody at home who's listening to this if you have an iphone with siri press siri activate siri and say klatu barada nikto and see what <laughs> see what she does <laughs> <laughs> do you have an iPhone, um, Bob? No, I don't have an. I have an uh, Android, but I'm, I'm going to do it right now because since you <clears throat> can't do it, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Okay, I'll pass the message on to God. <laughs> That's the fourth time I've done it, and it's the fourth different response that she gave. Oh, great! That's amazing. Klaatu I'm going to try it one more time just to see what different message we get because I get a kick out of it. <laughs> Klaatu Barada Nikto. I believe Klaatu left the planet somewhere around 1951. <laughs> he left the planet? I think it's funny that, that she totally takes the reference and runs with it. And runs with it and actually knows the stuff about it. 
Oh, man. Yeah, it's my uh, grandniece was over the other night and got my phone and started having conversations with it. It's, and she's like eight mm-hmm. and playing jokes and saying, tell me a joke. And it's, phone's amazing. But Klaatu Barada Nikto. Gort Klaatu Barada Nikto. Now, uh, one of the... I, I hate. I'm going to put it in quotations. Controversies about this movie is the resurrection of Klaatu, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. apparently there was some issue with the script. The Motion Picture uh, Association of America had them add the script to the line in where Klaatu uh, says that he's only been revived temporarily. Because the power of life to death is re- is reserved to the Almighty, right? That I thought that line really stood out, didn't you? Yeah, it, it did, uh, and it it, it wouldn't. It, it, I thought it was fine, mm-hmm. but it almost bothers me that they put it in there as as a knee jerk reaction to being afraid people were going to be offended. Exactly. What if that line hadn't been there? If if. Well, did they would have uh, then that whole little bit of her coming over saying, "You mean he has the power of life and over life and death?" No, that's reserved for the Almighty. But clearly, Klaatu is intended to be a. Yeah, you know, I hope I don't want to offend anybody, but he's supposed to be a Jesus Christ type. Type, yes. He's sent to Earth, he gives up his life, he's totally non-violent, his name is Mr. Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, there's, there's just so many little things like that. In fact, it's John Carpenter, so it's the same initials as Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he rises from the dead. Uh, you know, there's so many, so many parallels. Uh, I don't see why anybody it? should be offended by it. I think it's, it's, it's a parable. It's a story, and it's trying exactly. to give a very positive message. Exactly. But they were but afraid of people. I think that people. was the beauty of the 50s and the, way, and the 40s, and this is something that I've been saying forever. Grade B and science fiction, not even grade B, but science fiction as a genre has almost always been used as metaphor for other things, whether it be religion or war or sex or race or whatever. Science fiction uh, is a good way to tell these stories. And one of the things I liked about this story and the way they did this is that they don't hit you over the head with it. They don't pose him in a Christ-like you know, they don't they don't make a, a, a he's on the cross, arms stretched out, light glowing with organ music playing behind him, as in Superman returns or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They don't hit you over the head saying, This is our Christ like figure. They're saying if you want to find all these little details and if you see that yourself based on your own personal whatever, yay. But we're not going to hit you over the head with it and make it, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, preachy. I said earlier, it's a preachy, but not a preachy. It's 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 a sermon, I guess, but not preaching. It's what you want to get out of it uh, if you see those kinds of things. But especially in the fifties, nobody should be offended by. I don't even think you should be offended by it today. It's uh, simply making a statement. 
But I agree with you. If they hadn't put it in, I don't think it would have offended anybody. You would have simply gone along with the whole science fiction alien spaceman movie. Oh, he can bring guys back to life. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about the whole thing. And like you said, there was no overt on the cross yeah. reference or anything like that. When he yeah. dies, is there a piata, piate, I always forget how to pronounce it, pieta? Yeah, Pieta, I think, moment. Uh, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the statue by Michelangelo where the mother is holding Jesus's, uh, you know, deceased body. Do they right. have to, Is there a moment like that? No. When he's I dead? didn't. I don't remember seeing anything like that. I thought it was just the uh, the kind of sound effects that they the kind of spooky, uh, and then the lights changed, and he started breathing again. And uh, when he got up, they cut back and forth to her. But I don't think they left the ship during the resurrection uh, bit. I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, make, you made mention of the music again. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier Bernard Herrmann. Uh, oh, I think so he good. did a great job on this movie. And <laughs> he, uh, I, 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 what I call him is I call him the John Williams of his day. Mm-hmm. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he I guess... I'm trying to think most notably, I guess, uh, he did the theme for Psycho. Right. And he did the uh, theme music for the Twilight Zone. <laughs> that's that's two two things. But, I mean, yeah. he, was, he was heavily, the, the way John Williams is with Steven Spielberg, Bernard Herrmann was that way with Alfred Hitchcock and Orson Welles, uh, mm-hmm. among others. Uh, well, he did something that, that Williams does so beautifully, too, in modern uh, is is you set the tone, the mood. If you watch the same scene with the sound down, you don't get the same feeling you get with the music there. And and uh, the music in this thing is so good. It not only sets you up for the scene coming, it it really does hone right in on the emotions that they're trying to portray at the moment they're doing it. You know, along with the gorgeous black and white cinematography uh it's just it's perfect it really is uh uh for this kind of a genre it's just a great great perfect blending of uh, the sound and the so I, I think i was thinking a lot of that last night that i think they used uh, a lot of the cutscenes. remember when the saucer first landed on the baseball diamond near the uh capital um, and all the police cars coming out from everywhere and the, uh, all the emergency vehicles and stuff. I think they've used those scenes in TV shows and, you know, other places. Those identical scenes, not reshot them, cut it from that movie and put them in your own little show. Uh, so it would have had to have been someone from the same theater or given them rights to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But we see it all the time. But the music for that, even the emergency, the the suspense, everything about it, it, it just I I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie last night. Yeah, and, as uh, did I when I did my rewatch. Yeah. Uh, as far as legacy goes, and again, I'm on, I'm referencing the Wikipedia page here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was ranked number eighty-two in two thousand and one. It was ranked number eighty-two on one hundred years, one hundred thrills 
a list of America's most heart-pounding films. It placed number 67 on a similar list, 100 Years, 100 Cheers, a list of America's most inspiring films. In t- June 2008, the American Film Institute revealed its 10 top 10, the best 10 films in 10 classic American film genres, after polling more than 1,500 people from the creative community. The Day the Earth Stood Still was acknowledged as the fifth best film in the science fiction genre. That's as of 2008, uh-huh. too. That's not, you know, like, oh, you know, that was yeah, 1960. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The film was also on the ballot for AFI's other lists, including 100 Years, 100 Movies, the 10th Anniversary List, 100 Years, 100 Heroes, and Villains uh, for Klaatu in the Heroes category, uh, 100 mm. Years, 100 Movie Quotes for the famous line, Gort, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto, mm. and AFI's 100 Years of Film Scores. Wow. The Day the Earth Stood Still is now considered one of the best films released in 1951. The Day the Earth Stood Still is ranked 7th in Arthur C. Clarke's list of the best science fiction films of all time, just above Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, which Clarke himself (laughs) co-wrote. The 1951 film holds a 94% certified fresh rating at the film review's Agritor website, Rotten Tomatoes, based on 54 reviews and a weighted average of 8.1 out of 10. So, all, mm. all that said, it, it's a pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. It's held up. Yeah, uh, pretty so, good movie. Where do you... Uh, well, one thing I just want to say, you know, there, apparently there was a lot of uh, effort to do an, an analysis of the language to figure out what the words... Klaatu Barada Nikto meant <laughs> to, to, you know, come up with the actual meaning of the words. Yeah, good uh, luck. The closest they came was uh, uh, something to the effect, oh, what was it? Oh, actually, Billy Gray, who played Bobby Benson in the, movie, said, in the film, said he believed the message was coming from Klaatu that Barada Nikto must mean save Earth. Hmm. I don't I know. I thought it would be something <laughs> like, uh, you know, because... Why would the robot pick her up and take her back into the the ship? She just passed out, gave him the order. So would those three words also have something to do with her? No. So it's I think she was say the word means Klaatu. I think Gort Klaatu has been hurt. Find him, bring him back to the ship and save him. But how do you do that in you know so it would have to be Klaatu is hurt or Find Klaatu. Go get Klaatu. It has to be something about Klaatu and get him back to the ship. And that that could certainly be a, a reasonable interpretation of it because it could be with no guidance whatsoever, Gort would destroy the world. Exactly. But if he's been given the primary program of retrieve Klaatu and revive him, mm-hmm. then he no longer is acting on his own. And he's going to revive Klaatu and take whatever orders Klaatu gives him at that point. Exactly, exactly. So and it's certainly a fair interpretation. I yeah, think. that's kind of the way I looked at it. And I, at one point, tried to figure out how could he say all of that in three words, when one of the words is Klaatu's name. So Barato Niktu has to be pretty complex two words. Yeah. Uh, so, you know... Yeah. Yeah, even linguists would need a larger sample size to right. try and translate anything. Exactly. Like, and exactly. you tried a bit, because there is this other part 
part where that come from? There is this other part where uh, Klaatu, the night he goes in to set up the, the, the day the earth stood still part, when he goes back to the ship and Bobby follows him. When he goes in there and turns all the lights on in the ship and stuff and we're watching him and he turns that little viewer monitor thing on, he says some stuff there, not in English. That's all and I would uh, I think if people maybe get a sound sample of that somehow and I just it just dawned on me last night that he wasn't speaking English for that. He was speaking the Klaatu Baratu Nektu language and and it just flowed. So uh now yeah, I, I have not seen, as we already mentioned, the 2008 remake, but according to uh, Wikipedia, Keanu Reeves insisted that the line Klaatu Barada Nikto be in the movie. And it's actually said, said in the movie twice, and according to the entry, when it is said, it's said almost in passing, and it is not in the, in the, uh, the subtitles, hmm. the closed captioning. Hmm. Well... That sucks. There's another reason not to go see it. Well, but you, that, but you know in, 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 in recent days, there's been a revival of Keanu Reeves' love uh, on the internet, certainly. I've seen it. Yeah. And the too. fact that he insisted that line be in the movie, to me, just reinforces that thought. Well, I, I agree that it should be in there. What I'm saying is, who are the lame brains that wouldn't have originally put the most memorable line from the movie in the remake how could you not so that would tell me then that uh gort um is never told by uh what's her face it's a whole new story then well yeah that, that she doesn't go and tell gort anything does gort even exist in the remake the fact that well, I believe he does. Uh, yeah, probably blows basically, up the whole basically from the from the movie post, he, he does. Uh, <laughs> but but right. what it makes me question is if they were going to leave that line out of the movie, then it just again reinforces the thought that it was presented in a very very different way than this movie was, and mm -hmm. probably not to my liking. Yes, okay, that's a, a nicer way to put it. Thank you, that's good. I agree with you there. Um, but we're um, not reviewing the 2008 remake. We're, no, we're reviewing not. the 1951 classic. And right. Bob, is it yours? Is it yours? You know, I was telling my wife, she said, uh, who are you recording with? I said, I'm uh, recording with, uh, uh, we're talking about the day the earth stood still on Paul Spataro's Is It Jaws? Without missing a beat, she said, oh, two of my favorite all-time movies. My wife loves Jaws. It's Jaws, Alien, top of her list. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I said, well, yeah, that's the radio. And then blah, 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 I explained. Is it Jaws? Yes, this is definitely Jaws. This, this movie hits all my right buttons. This is, it's got it all. As you've heard us kind of gush over it a little bit, it's got it all. Great director, good script, great music, great acting. It's got it all. You know what my biggest regret about this movie is? Mm. That I didn't see it when I was younger. Mm. It, it has a whole different effect on you when you see it at like 8 or 9 or 10 years old. I, I saw, I'm just trying to think, I saw Psycho when I was probably about 10. Mm -hmm. Maybe 9. Right. Uh and that's the age I wish I saw this. Yeah, yeah. 
not, not because, not because I don't appreciate it now, because I totally appreciate it now, and I'm going to say it's yours. Right. But I feel like it's a movie that's yours that, that I would have enjoyed for many, many years if I had the opportunity, and I feel like I... Uh, I wasted some time there. <laughs> well, the nice thing about the time in which we live is all of this stuff is available. This is available for anybody who wants to see it. And it's still there. And I'm telling you, I thoroughly sat down last night. And I know dialogue from this movie. I mean, I know when things are going to happen. And there were still points in this movie where I still got the nice little chill on the back of the neck and the, the smile from just going, God, that was so good. And little things. When the, sec the, the assistant is about to erase what Plateau had just written on uh, Professor Barnhart's blackboard, and out of the clear blue, he comes back in and says, I wouldn't do that. Professor Barnhart is really going to need that later. Yeah. So good. Little bits like that. Uh, yeah, it's definitely Jaws for me. And I did see it sometime as a kid, that 8, 9, 10-year-old, uh, in a theater somewhere. And it had that effect on me. I saw Psycho at about the same age. So and I know where I saw Psycho in the theater in Manio. But... Yeah, it, it, it has that kind of thing. Plus, as a kid, seeing it, I, I remember kind of being the same age as Bobby in the thing, and me being Bobby as a kid. I mean, this was all, you know, right up my alley, living in Richmond, 90 miles away from Washington, D.C. They were right there, man. It's all there. Mm. So, and it's been with me forever. So, uh, uh, yeah, when I gave you the list, I thought, yeah, I'm glad that we kind of settled on this one first, because it's... It, it, it's so different than the other stuff you've covered. And um, I'm not sure, I still am not sure how a modern audience watching it for the first time would see it, would think about it. Would they just get bored or leave or would they stick it out? I don't, I don't, I don't see where you'd get bored. I don't know. I don't either. I, I think it's a matter of would they give it a chance in the first place. Right. If they give it a chance, I don't think they'd be bored. Now, if anybody's listening to this and has never seen the movie, and I'm thinking there's somebody who hasn't seen it who's going to listen anyway. <laughs> and if, somebody, so, right. if so, and if you give it a shot, write in. Let me know what you think about it. JawsPodcast yeah. at gmail.com. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear from you. But uh, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing this, and, I, and I'm... Very thankful to you for mentioning this movie because I'm glad I got a chance to watch it again. Uh, anybody okay. who's listening and enjoys Bob and I together, we did do a previous episode of Is It Yours? Uh, and if you don't know already, Bob and I are both lovers of classic rock. Let's describe mm -hmm. it that way. And you could hear us on uh, Long Play where we, uh, if you think we, we uh, gushed over this one, listen to us talk, <laughs> listen to us talk about Abbey Road. Uh, <laughs> And we're talking about doing some more music uh, yeah. podcasts together because we like gushing. Because uh, we like gushing. <laughs> but uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Bob, for coming on. My pleasure. It's uh, a lot of fun. Any old time, Paul. Any time. And uh, everybody listening, we'll see you in two weeks. Gordon. Matu. Barada. Nick Toe. Latu. Barada. Nick Toe.